Today I'll be preaching from the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, and I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 13, the entire chapter, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him. And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, said the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth, and flee from the land of the north, said the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, said the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, said the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and she shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you, unto thee rather. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather here today. Thank you for how you've touched our hearts thus far. And I pray, dear Lord, as your word goes forth, that you would speak to each other in a very special way. May every heart be receptive, responsive, surrendered, to your will and purpose. Take full control of your divine way. Give me the words you love me to say. Save some lost soul. Serve the hearts of every believer. I will be able to praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You will be seated. Have you ever wondered how the principle or the concept of attraction works between male and female? Have you ever wondered what makes a guy like a particular girl? What makes a girl like, be attracted to a particular guy? I've wondered how it works. But there are studies that have been done to arrive at theories as to what actually causes this thing called attraction to happen. I was doing a little digging myself on the internet and came across this article entitled, 
why we feel attraction or instant attraction to some people but not others. And the article had a number of factors that the writer considered are the reasons or the answers to this question. And I'll very briefly outline what this writer thought. It says one of the factors or the reasons as to why we feel instant attraction to some people, not to others, is the factor of closeness. In other words, it, it, it's more likely that we feel attracted to someone who's closer to us geographically, such as someone who lives in our area or a person at work. Another factor mentioned is similarity. He says, it's more likely that we get attracted to someone who's more similar to us than not. Being similar does not, however, predict the longevity of the relationship or how happy we are together. Another factor mentioned, physical excitement. When we meet someone we don't know and are physically aroused, for example, have a higher heart rate as a result of an adrenaline rush, it increases the chances that we feel instant attraction. It says mood. We like people who make us feel good. We like other people more when we ourselves feel good, even if it wasn't the other person who made us feel good. Now, here's an interesting factor that the writer mentioned, and I, I believe that it, it is so as well. He mentioned the factor of shortage. You say shortage? What does he mean by shortage? He says when there are fewer potential partners to choose from, we tend to view the potential ones present as more attractive. When potential partners appear more difficult to catch, we become more attracted to them. So in other words, when there are few, when there's really one person, then all of a sudden the factors of attraction are increased. He mentions the factor of looks. People of all gender identities are more attracted to people they find good-looking. But the attraction may we feel may depend on whether others experience that person as attractive and the context we are in. That is, if there are other attractive or less attractive people in the same room, a person tends looks, a person's looks tend to be more important at the beginning of a relationship rather than later. Mention the final factor here of hormones and neurotransmitters. Attraction is also partly determined by our sense of smell and what is referred to as pheromones, higher levels of oxytocin and dopamine may also increase the level of attraction. Now, this is this writer's theory as to what causes this thing called attraction. But I will submit to you that it will still always remain a mystery, even though I will submit to you there is no question that it exists. Amen? Wow, boy, we're real quiet and silent. I can remember the first time, the very, very first time I saw my wife. Well, of course, she wasn't my wife at the time, but divine providence would have it that ultimately years later she would be. But I was 16 years old. And when I saw her, I am not lying, I was smitten. I was a goner. And don't look at me as if I'm strange. I know you all have your stories as well. But I'm not going to have you share them this morning. 
But suffice it to say, this mechanism of attraction has been incorporated into our physical beings by Almighty God himself. He has given us the ability to be attracted to people based on their personality, based on their looks, uh, based on relationships that we have. But let me submit to you that this uh, phenomenon of attraction is placed in our being by Almighty God with the ultimate purpose of relationship. God has always been about relationship. It is for this reason that he created mankind and chose to create us in his image. And just as we might be in a crowded room and there is still that one person who grabs our attention. Interestingly and amazingly, there's a statement found in our text that indicates that the God of the universe has special thoughts towards his people, towards those who he has a special relationship with. In the context of our text this morning, Zechariah chapter 2, God was saying to the nation of Israel that had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, he was saying to them at the end of this time to come back to me. You see, some of them had gotten comfortable in Babylon. They had gotten so comfortable that even when the Babylonian captivity was over, they still stayed away from coming back to Jerusalem. They still stayed away from God. And what God was saying to them, don't get comfortable being away from me. Don't get comfortable being wrapped up and mixed up with the heathen. And so in verse number 7, and in verse number 8, I want you to notice what God said to them. He said to them, his people, deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his God is speaking to his people and God is saying to his people, the nation of Israel, you are special to me. Don't forget that. You are the apple of my eye. Don't you like being the apple of somebody's eye? I don't know. I don't know why this church gets so quiet and silent every time we get on something such as this. But, nonetheless, I'm going to preach the Bible this morning. Amen? Don't worry. I won't make you uncomfortable. But in this age of grace, there is no question that just as God was making a plea to his special chosen people, God is making a plea to his chosen people who have been saved by his grace. Amen? Just in case you're doubting, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And let's read verses 11 to 13. I want you to understand and see that God has special people. 
John chapter 1 and verse 11 to 13. Verse 11 says, he came unto his own. He came unto the nation of Israel, who were his chosen people. And his own received him, what? Not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. My friend, to be chosen by God, to be saved by the grace of God, makes you the apple of God's eye. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his what? marvelous light. In other words, you are special to God. You're a child of God. You are the apple of his eye. And even if you are not a child of God, a born again believer, you are special as well. And this morning, I want you to see in a message that I've entitled, the apple of God's eye. That even if you are not born again, that you have an important responsibility in responding to the love of God that's available to all people. So this morning, the apple of God's eye. Listen, you may have been hurt. You may have been let down. You may have been discouraged by somebody else who you were hoping would see you as the apple of their eye, or maybe you were, and maybe they let you down. But listen, my friends, God will not let you down. He wants you to recognize that you are the apple of his eye. Now, I want you to note with me, back in Zechariah, notice, there's just two things that we look at this morning as it relates to being the apple of God's eye. And the first thing I want you to note and pay very careful attention to is the action of the initiator. God is the initiator. We read in our scripture reading in 1 John, we love him because he what? He do what? He first loved us. So when it comes to this uh, love relationship, listen, it was initiated by almighty God. And there are some actions that the initiator took. There are some actions that an initiator takes in a love relationship. Notice with me the actions of the Almighty God. Back in Zechariah chapter 2. Notice, first of all, that the initiator promises prosperity. Verse number 4. And he said unto him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. God is saying to his people, listen, I'm going to bring you prosperity. 
when that young man is dating that young girl, she wants to be convinced that if I'm going to leave where I am and I'm going to come to build a life with you, I'm going to be better off in the long run. Am I right, ladies? Notice I said in the long run. It doesn't mean initially you're going to have all the stuff that you may have left home with. I'm not talking about being materialistic. But ultimately, a young man, let me tell you something. She does not want to think that in the long run she's going from bad to worse. So young men, you ought to have a plan that will convince her that if you follow me and you come with me, I'm going somewhere. You know why is it so important that you're going somewhere? Because she has to follow you. So if you're going nowhere, that's not a good place to go. So God is saying to his people, you will prosper. Look at verse number four again. He's saying, I will make you such that your population will boom because of the desirability of your land. In other words, he's saying, you won't have to build. As a matter of fact, you won't be able to build walls because of your continuous expansion. God is courting his people. God is saying uh, through his actions, I'm going to provide you prosperity. But notice in verse number five, he also says, I'm going to bring you protection. For I said the Lord will be a wall unto her, a wall of fire round about. I'm going to protect you when you come back to me. Young man or older man, she wants to know that you will protect her, that you will defend her, that you will be a wall of fire about her. Man, you see how you could get some words right from the pages of scripture? I'm going to be a wall of fire about you. Making yourself sound real original, not knowing that you got it from Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 5. Young man, this protection includes physical protection. But you know what that means? That if you're going to protect her physically, you will not injure her physically. Do not hit her. Do not slap her. Do not box her. If you want to let off some steam, invest in a punching bag. But she is not that. She is not your child. You are to protect her physically. But you are also to protect her emotionally. Do not degrade her. Do not call her names. Do not make her feel small. Do not intimidate her. Do not crush her emotions. Do not minimize her accomplishments and abilities. Be a wall of fire around her and don't let others do it to her. God saying to his people as the apple of his eye, I will provide you protection. I will provide you prosperity. But look at what God says. 
I also will grant you my presence. Look at verse number five, the latter part. He says, and will be the glory in the, what? In the midst of her. Look at verse number 10, a similar refrain repeated. For lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. The initiator is convincing the apple of his eye that not only will I grant you prosperity and protection, but you're going to have my very presence. I will be the glory in the midst of you. You know what that tells me? She's not getting the leftovers. He's promising to spend quality time. I will interact with you. I will talk to you. I will listen to you. And guess what? He's saying, you will enjoy my company because he says, I will be the glory in the midst of thee. That means that whatever I have planned, you're going to enjoy. You know, sometimes, and I'm, by the way, I'm speaking to myself. By the way, I'm preaching this message. Don't think that my wife's not going to hold me to these things. But if that... That person is going to enjoy your presence. You know, sometimes what you got to do? Change up the scenery. I know COVID has presented some challenges and restrictions, but plan a staycation in your beautiful country. A little night here, a night there. May you figure too expensive. May go for a walk. Enjoy the sunset. Enjoy the moonlight. Go for lunch. Go for breakfast. I mean, we have paradise to enjoy. But we take it for granted. But, but, but the, 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 the initiator, he almighty God is saying, listen, you're going to enjoy my presence. But he goes on, he says, let me convince you that you are my priority. Look at what he says in verse number 8. Look at these words. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. You are my priority. That man says to that lady, even though the room was filled with people, you were still the one that caught my eye. You are still the one that got my attention. Why? Because you are my priority. You're not second fiddle to my hobbies. You're not second fiddle to the children. You're not second fiddle to my job. You're definitely not second fiddle to another woman. Because you're the apple of his eye. By the way, you notice he didn't say you're you're one of the apples of my eye. Singular. And what I find interesting in this verse, he also said, you are the apple of my, what? Eye. He didn't even say you're the apple of my eyes. No, we know that God is a spirit. But if we were to translate that to our physical makeup, even though we have two eyes, I believe the significance of that singular mention of the word eye it indicates having singular vision. I see you and I see you alone. You're my priority. 
Do you know that God has made us his priority? The king of kings and lord of lords bankrupt heaven for you and for me. That ought to be convincing enough to us that we are a priority of almighty God. He says you're my priority. Verse number 9, look at the actions of this initiator goes on. He says, listen, you can be guaranteed and assured of my provision. Look at verse number 9. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. He was saying, listen, these same people who oppress you, these same people who castigate you, these same people, I'm going to spoil them so that they are actually providing for you. I will use your oppressors to meet your needs. By the way, there's a lesson as we talk about the analogy of relationship and courtship. Young man, and of course I'm talking about initiator, so that's why much of this is going to be focused on young men, amen, and men. But men, young men, if you're planning to get married... Make sure you have a job. Let me say that again. Young man, if you are planning to get married, make sure you have a what? A J-O-B. You will need it. You are not taking care of one, but you are taking care of two or more. That's the reason why you are to equip yourself while you're in school. Do your best to prepare yourself to get a job. Learn a skill. Educate yourself. There is such great access to information like never before. By the way, let me also say, school is not the only place to learn. But ultimately, you must be a provider. God was saying to his people, the apple of his eye, make no mistake about it, I will provide for you. You will have provision. Now we looked at these host of things that the initiator, God himself, speaking to the apple of his eye, convincing them of what he would do, what he would make available. They were his priority. He would provide prosperity, protection, provision, But there's only one thing left. The initiator has acted. The only thing that's left is the reaction of the responder. Now, we look at this very briefly and I'll close. God has done everything that he can do. God has done everything that needs to be done. And he's here speaking to the nation of Israel, the apple of his eye, and we've seen by extension his chosen people today. But notice what God says to them. God has done his part. And he says in verse number 7 to his people, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. You know what God is saying to the apple of his eye? Forsake the other entanglers. Forsake 
the other entices. You are the apple of my eye. I am pursuing you even as you are away from me. But as I pursue you, don't be playing the field. You know what sometimes happens in relationships? And I'm talking about the earthly ones. The initiator, the man, comes and he's pursuing that lady. And he's genuinely letting her know what he'll provide. Protection. Provision. You're my priority. Prosperity. And the would-be responder strings him along with no commitment. That's not too nice, is it? God is saying to his people, you are the apple of my eye, but let me tell you very straight and up front, you must forsake the other enticers, those who are enticing you to come along with them, the other ones who will entangle you. You must find yourself responding to me and me alone. He says, deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. In other words, you're going to have to enter well. <coughs> Unentangle yourself from them. Deliver thyself. In other words, God is saying to his people, you cannot expect to experience the benefits of the initiator and then it's found out that you're looking to see what you can get elsewhere at the same time. You know, many people are treating God like that. Treating God simply like a standby love. God, I want all the good stuff you have to offer. I want you to protect me. I want you to provide for me. Get me out of trouble. Bless me. Treat me special. Make me your priority. But at the same time, I want to be wrapped up in bed with the world. I'd say it doesn't work that way. I want you to be committed to me. I want you to be clear where you stand with me. And when others see you, they know that you are for me. No mixed messages. And here's what I found out. That when you are clear where you stand and whose you are, guess what? The enticers and the entanglers don't even bother. Because they know they'll get embarrassed. When you are clear where you stand with God, listen, the world does not continuously bombard you with its enticements. So you know what we have to do? Make up your mind where you stand. Cut the cord with the world. And if we don't accept and tolerate this in our earthly relationships, why do we think that God should or would? You know what I'm finding out from experience and from observation? That lack of commitment to God is one of the most prevalent characteristics of believers today. Lack of commitment. Lack of dedication. Lack of single-mindedness. Half-stepping with God. My friend, it is not acceptable to God. God has bankrupt heaven. God has given his very best. God has given 
all. And so God wants you, God wants me to be all in. All in. This, this half stepping, this one minute on the bank, one minute on the river. Listen, God says, fully with that, I want your full commitment. Well, you know what, what people have rationalized in their mind? I just want to be a little bit in. Just in case I need a bailout. God, I have not completely severed my ties with you. But look at James chapter 4 and verse 4. Look at what, how seriously God takes this matter of commitment and this matter of, of, of entanglement with the world. James chapter 4 and verse 4. In speaking to this matter of, 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 of being wrapped up in lust and sin and, and, and one little bit of God and a little bit of the world. He says here, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Knowing not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. My friend, God expects and desires full commitment to him. Look at what he says in the subsequent verses. In verse 7. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable. I think I'm reading the wrong text here, but it's, it's actually James chapter 4 rather. But it's amazing I was in James chapter 1 and those verses were quite applicable. But verse number 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What's God expected reaction of the responder? To forsake the enticers, to forsake the entanglers. But notice verse number 10 of Zechariah chapter 2. I find this so very instructive. God says, listen, based on all that I'm going to do for you and all that I I can assure you that you will have, if you're going to respond to my initiation, guess what? I can assure you, you're going to be filled with excitement. Look at verse number 10. He says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. In other words, God is saying, you respond to my love, you're going to enjoy the Lord. Are you enjoying the Lord? Listen, if, if, if a young man goes out of his way and does all of these wonderful things for the apple of his eye, 
and she's still not happy. What should be his conclusion? What what would be his conclusion? His conclusion is simply going to be, my loved one, you are the apple of my eye, but you're not interested. And so the time has come that I've got to move on. I'm not the one for you. It must be or it might be that you might have your eye in another direction. But if that's not the case and I go out of my way, I would expect that you would be filled with excitement. That ought to be a natural response. I mean, can you imagine you go out of your way? Which admittedly for men, I'm sure it's probably not often, but let's say you did. When you did. I mean, you planned that special dinner. You got the special gift. You got the candles. I mean, the whole works. Everything was prepared. Then your wife came home and looked past everything, walked past everything, went straight in the bedroom and gone to sleep. I mean, men, I'm sure I can speak for you. We would be crushed. But how must God feel after all that he has done? And our response to him is to complain. To be proverbially, to be perpetually rather down in the dumps. We can never give him praise. Never a word of testimony of something that he's done. How does that make God feel? Are we thankful and joyous for his love? God says, your response to my actions of initiation, you ought to be filled with excitement. You ought to forsake the enticers or the entanglers. But notice finally, God says, you are going to be fascinated by my existence. Look at verse number 13, how he ends this chapter. He says, be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. For he is raised up out of his holy habitation. This silence as God's presence is manifested, is because there is just simply a sense of being in awe at the presence of God. You know, in order for any relationship to be healthy, two things must happen. When the initiator initiates, the responder must respond. Now, that doesn't always happen. But I'm talking about in order for it to be healthy. If those two things don't happen, there's a sign of a problem. It could be that the initiator is lacking. It could be the initiator is unconvincing. It could be that there's an unresolved issue or issues between them. It could be that the responder is not interested in the initiator. But if all of these are not the case, the responder will be fascinated 
by the initiator. My friend, we ought to be fascinated. We ought to be in awe of the presence of Almighty God. We ought to be amazed that he would love us in spite of ourselves. And this love that he has manifested in our hearts and in our lives, guess what? It ought to draw us to him. Look with me in closing at Psalm chapter 4. And I want you to notice the fascination of the psalmist. You see, when we are truly amazed by the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, you know what? It affects our worship. It affects our perspective. Just look at these words as I read Psalm number 4. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will he turn my glory into shame? How long will he love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for what? Himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. The psalmist is amazed that God is the one who would respond. That God has chosen him to be special for himself. But look at the response in verse number four. Stand in what? Awe. And sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. The response of the initiate, of the responder, the reaction, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Look at verse number seven. Thou hast put what? Gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I mean, listen, the psalmist is just saying, listen, God, you amaze me. You have put that song in my heart. And because of the fulfillment found in God, he says, I can rest. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou Lord only makest me dwell in safety. In spite of all that's swirling all around, I can rest in the presence of God and I can be still. Why? Because the responder recognizes the initiator got me I can trust in his love. I'm the apple of his eye. He's provided for me. He's protected me. I'm his priority. He's given me prosperity. He's given me peace. And I'm his and his alone. I don't have time to be wrapped up with the world. And I can enjoy his presence 
I'm filled with excitement at what He is doing in my life. And I can have peace. Thank God for His love. Be amazed at God that He would love us. What love is this? That you lay down your life for me. Never take God's love for granted. He says, you are the apple of my eye. But recognize the great responsibility we have to respond to that love. You're here today. Man, woman, boy, or girl, God loves you. If you're not a child of God, guess what? You're still included because when God sent Jesus, he sent him for you. God says, I've done everything possible. Will you respond to my love? You are the apple of my eye.